You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate Church, welcome. We are back in the sermon series, uh, Jesus Over All. And we're really talking about the sovereignty of God and how God is over everything. And we use this phrase, man, God's got it all rigged. And speaking of rigged, now what were you thinking right there? What were you thinking? Here's the thing. We have all around us this, this reality that there's all kinds of things happening in our world that, uh, that we're trying to figure out what's true, uh, what's going on. We have, hey, this is what this is, and uh, man, that's not true. This is, this is what's happening. All around us, there is this sense of being able to say, hey, this is what you should believe. But even behind all of that, um, there's a sense of being able to push us into a place of doubt. And that's really what I want to talk about for us today. About 20 years ago, these two researchers did this project. And this project was really based upon really how we respond, whether we're more drawn to belief or to doubt. And so this is what they did. They took hot button political topics and they brought people in and they said, okay, in three minutes, we want to put, we want you to put everything for and against this topic. Just write it down. And so um, people wrote down, you know, and they would put things that are for uh, and things that are against. And, uh, you know, they navigated towards, you know, their previous belief systems and they begin to, you know, articulate those things. But, and that wasn't really what's more significant about that. What was fascinating about this study was that um, more people put the things against than for. In fact, Really, when we begin to think about how we are drawn into our world, we're drawn into doubt more than belief. In fact, if you want to manipulate someone, the easiest thing to do is to cause them to doubt or to just instill doubt in this. We are very susceptible and we are easily manipulated by doubt. Anytime someone wants to be able to take and manipulate us, it is to be able to create doubt in our world. And then what happens is then when we, when we live into doubt in our world, there begins to be this internal angst that happens. There begins to be this decision-making. There begins to be this re- reversion into um, places that, that really aren't healthy for us when we live in the constancy of doubt. And so we live in an age of skepticism and we live in, in an age of competing truths. And as we navigate this political sphere and we, and we say, hey, what should I believe? How should I operate? This is key for us. And as we begin to figure out how do we continue this story that we began last, last week, it's key for us to understand really what does it mean for us to navigate between belief and doubt. Last week, what we talked about was really um, how to be people of God for the city and not of the city for God, and that that's a significantly different idea. And how is it that we begin to live in response to the political realities around us where we're navigating this in a way that allows the city to flourish and understanding when the city flourishes, so do we. And so the flourishing of humanity comes when we begin to have a different view than really the culture around us on how we navigate politics. And so how does Christianity speak to us and help us deconstruct the world around us and reconstruct it around the sovereignty of God and the clarity that he gives us in our world. And that is key for us. One of the things that someone said today is, Keith, you consistently talk about the sovereignty of God. You talk about the fact that God's got it all rigged. You talk about this as being a core thing. Why is this so important? And here's what my belief is, is that when we understand who God is 
and his sovereign nature, the fact that he is over all, he is above all, it radically changes our lives. It radically changes the way that we live. It radically changes the quality of your life and allows you to begin to step into what I believe is a gospel-saturated life just by this one identifier of who God is as we begin to walk into it with great um, with great confidence. So we begin to say, God is the Lord of all. And I believe that even in this pandemic, I've been able to see people that really believe this and people that struggle with this. And so I want to walk into a, a place of scripture and to be able to help us to understand, understand how to navigate this. And it's one of the more famous um, verses in the Bible. In fact, the verse we're going to land in um, is completely misunderstood many times. And so I want to get to that. So um, it might be that you have this up on your wall and you begin to see this. Um, you can easily buy this. You Google this verse and you're going to find um, all kinds of things that you can buy on Etsy or Hobby Lobby or wherever you shop for your knickknacks. Um, so this is, this is one of those things that we have to get into because there's such potent truth behind this that's deeply misunderstood about what it means for us to be people that move from doubt to belief in the political landscape around us. So here's, here's what this looks like. We're gonna start in verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. It says this, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I've promised and I will bring you home again. For I know, this is the big verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And oftentimes we say, this is what I want to believe, that God has these plans and it's for everything good and it's defined as I define it. And this is like, I'm going to cling to this promise. And if I cling to this promise, God, you have to do it. So therefore, this is how this is going to work. And it goes on and says this, in those days when you pray, I will listen if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so how as Christians do we navigate a world that's surrounded by a lot of truths that are here to make us get to this place where we don't know what to believe? And if we begin to look at these things around us, we begin to get to the place of skepticism and we get to a place where we struggle all around us. And we begin to say, how is it that we don't live in fear? How is it that we don't live in doubt? How do we navigate when there's chaos around us, when there's pandemic around us, when there's racial tension around us, when there's political craziness around us? How do you operate? And we go back to a place, and just to remember where we're at with these people, they were people who were God's people, escaped out of Egypt. They were there for 40 years, got the Egypt out of them. They went to the promised land because this is what God promised them. And they went and they settled and everything was good. And then all of a sudden, God allows other, other countries to come in and to pull them out of their country and bring them in. So um, King Nebuchadnezzar takes and from um, Babylon raids the promised land, brings them back, and here they are living in exile. And the prophet Jeremiah is helping them to understand what is it, what is it that they need to do to be able to thrive in Babylon. How do you thrive in a place where there's political chaos around you? How do you thrive in this reality? And so this is where they get this. This is where we begin to get into this text. And so I want us to be able to understand some of this 
this stuff. And I want us to be able to understand this from this big picture. This is what Jeremiah is telling them. And this also as principle applies to us as well. The first thing I want you to get, God has plans. And, um, and you need to understand this, that God is not a passive um, individual in your world that set up a structure to be able to think through uh, a worldview, but for you to be able to understand that you are to have a relationship with him and it's an active ongoing relationship where God is an active participant. God as all powerful, all knowing and all present has plans. And this is profound. The fact that you're not just navigating in the dark on your own, hoping everything works out. That from who you marry to what your career is, to the future that he has for you in sickness and in health, for good, for bad, all those things, not just in marriage vows, um, I realize that sounded a lot like marriage vows, um, but even in everything of your life, like all these things that God has plans in this. And for you to recognize and you for, to, to have comfort in the reality that you don't have to discover this all alone. You have to be able to say, God, what do you think about this? And sometimes it's really specific. God, sometimes God is like multiple choice. You get to choose. All of those things are in my will. Go for it. But both ways we begin to see that God is sovereign and that he is working his plans. And, and, and here's what he says. This is what's kind of interesting about this. God, you will... This is what God is saying, my plans are, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and I will do for you all the good things that I've promised. So this is like, these are things that I've already told you I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to bring you home again. There's so much like gospel truth in this. I want us to get this, that not only does God have plans, but God's plans will never fail that you can trust in God's plans. So if the first question you ask is, God, what are your plans? The second thing we can ask is, do I trust your plans? Do I trust your plans? And this is really key for us because we have to understand when it comes to this, we have to ask where's our part and what is God's part? In 1989, um, there was a, a really terrible um, incident that happened. And it happened from a, uh, from a plane that was taking off in, um, in North, North Dakota. And as this plane took off in North Dakota, um, something unthinkable happened. And uh, this plane had three engines. Um, and uh, one of the engines, the tail engine, um, the fan that was basically the turbofan, um, basically disintegrated. And as it disintegrated, the titanium alloy that was built out began to create shred, uh, like kind of these, this shrapnel that came and, and ultimately severed um, the hydraulic systems that were a part of how the whole plane would be able to fly. So from the cockpit, immediately they knew that something was wrong, both by um, the physical sensation of something that changed and the explosion that happened, and also this reality that um, they began to see that this engine failed. Also, what happened on that plane was when they lost that engine, what began to happen was they began to be, have a, a, subtle, um, a subtle turn and a drop in their nose. And so they immediately began to do what all pilots do, and they began to grab the stick and begin to move the stick to be able to correct and keep level flight. The difficulty is, as they began to move the stick, they began to continue to move in that same direction. And they didn't realize that something that was really unfathomable um, had happened, that not only 
did, the, uh, did that shrapnel um, that came from that exploded engine sever the main uh, hydraulic lines back there, the hydraulic system, but it also rendered the redundant systems completely ineffective as well. And so they're there um, trying to control this plane. And so they begin and the pilot begins to move it and begins to think maybe there's something just wrong with his stick and then the co-pilot does it. Then they do it together and they begin to try to figure out why is this thing continuing to move, continuing to turn and continuing to drop in altitude. And so they go back and they look out the window and to be able to see the wing and that must have been a crazy moment, right? Where the, wind, where the, where the pilot comes out, asks the passenger to move so he can look at the wing um, to be able to see if anything's moving. Nothing's moving. And so um, they begin to, to go and they are, are, are dropping and they get to a point where they recognize, uh, we don't know what's happening here. We, we can't figure it out. But they realize that um, one of their engines is pushing them over. And so they begin to correct. They throttle down one of the engines and speed up the other engine to try to, over, uh, try to correct this thing that was happening. And so during this flight, they begin to go in circles as they begin to figure out what do we do now? How do we get, begin to... Um, operate in this way. Finally, they begin to recognize that something that had never happened before was happening to them. They had lost all their hydraulic systems and nothing that they did with the stick to be able to control any of the flight services was having any kind of effect. The only thing that they could affect was the engines. Now, ultimately, um, it was a tragedy, but it was one that could be much worse because they manipulated the systems for the engines and created loops by around they, they, they dropped fuel and ultimately were able to land. Now, as they landed, they had to land at 400 miles per hour because they had no other way to be able to stop. And from that, the, the, the tragedy was that 100 and, 112 people out of the 240 people on that plane lost their lives. But there was a fascinating thing for us to understand in this. And this is the, this, this reality that for key moments in there, they had what they thought was the way to control the plane. The thing that they'd used their entire lives to be able to control the plane, and that was the stick, right? That was the, that was the yoke to be able to say, if I turn it this way, it's gonna go this way, and I can counteract this thing that's happening. But they didn't recognize, and they didn't understand that not only did the main hydraulic system break, but also the secondary hydraulic system break. And for us to be able to understand um, how, how does this relate to our lives, I think it's really key because oftentimes in our worlds, what we can believe is that somehow we have this control, that, that we have the stick and, and maybe our lives have been um, kind of built around this idea, if I do this, this will work. But we get into these places and these moments where like, I can't control it anymore and I'm still trying to control it and I think that I should be able to control it but it's easy for us to be able to believe in God's sovereignty when we think we're controlling everything. When everything's going well in our life, it's really difficult for us when we begin to get to those places where we're like, I don't like this, and so I'm going to try to control it. I'm going to do something that ultimately relates back to how I think should happen. We begin to try to manipulate the controls of our lives, and they don't work oftentimes. And they don't get us into the place, especially in the deepest part, where we begin to believe, hey, this is, this is the best thing for me. This is what I want. This is what I desire. And we begin to recognize, hey, there's something else at work. And the moment between when they recognize, hey, I can move this stick. I can try to steer this yoke, but nothing's going to happen. And the moment they realize the only thing that we have control over is the engines. 
That was the key moment. And that was the moment that saved all those people's lives that survived. For us, we have to ask, hey, how do we get to a moment in our lives when we begin to say, you know what, I don't have control of this. I can fool myself into thinking I have control of this, but actually it is God's plans who never fail and not mine. As we think about this, there's another thing that comes out of this verse and this idea that God's definition of good is bigger than ours. So we, we look at this and it says this, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. Not for like, hey, for the next seven months or for like, hey, in seven weeks or hey, just one week, seven days. No, for 70 years, you will be in Babylon. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things that I've promised and I will bring you home again. This is what's fascinating about this. We have to understand that, that ultimately God's definition of good is bigger than our definition of good. And this is where things go off the rails oftentimes for us because we believe, hey, God, you're here to do, uh, you're here for me to be able to have the good things in my life, the blessings in my life as I define them. And here's what's fascinating about this. Oftentimes the way that we would define the good things in our life are around the things that actually keep us from God, that keep us from going to God, that we would say, God, uh, would you just provide this financial security? Lord, would you just create this, this security around this issue in my life? Would you kind of remove this, this thing that's, uh, that's, that's difficult? Lord, I, I, and we might never pray for comfort, but we're ultimately, our prayers are around our comfort. Would you do this thing? We, we, we pray for this kind of life that we want, this utopian life where we have um, what we need financially. We, we don't have any sickness. We don't have any strife and, and difficulties, things that cause us discomfort. And we keep praying these prayers and saying, God, I know that you want all these things, right? But sometimes these things are the very things that say, man, I got it on my own. I don't really need you, God. And what we have to understand is God is consistently bringing us back to himself. Because here's what God believes, and this is what is true, that God wants to give us himself. That God wants to say, the greatest satisfaction that you would have is for you to have a relationship with me, for you to have intimacy with me, for you to find everything you need in me, for me to be able to meet everything that you think you need in my relationship with you. This is the greatest needs that you have. And so in this, as we begin to think, uh, how, does this, uh, how does this work? God consistently, he takes and he says, I'm gonna bring you into good things. But, but here's the thing, I love you enough not to keep you in places that keep you away from me. And so there's moments like they would have never said, Lord, please take. We, 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 we want to know you. We know that you are the desires of our hearts, the ultimately desire, ultimate desires of our hearts. So take and would you have another group of people come and bring, uh, you know, take our country away from us so that we might be found in you, so that we might be rediscovered in you. We would have never prayed this, but yet God does what is best for us. And we look back and we can begin to say, okay, this is, this is how this looks and this is what's clear, is that God's plans are really clear when we look backwards. That we can begin to see God at work, that God, man, he did all this stuff and we're like, why did he keep them in, in the desert? And ultimately, hey, this had to refine them in order to be people that would take the promised land 
And you can look back in your life and oftentimes things that you say, God, get me out of this situation was the very thing that created who you are in that situation. It might have brought you to God. It might have brought you into his intimacy. It might have created something in your life that you could have never done on your own. But we have to understand that this is what God does. He brings us into places that cause us to grow and not to have stasis in our life. But for us, we have to understand, hey, this is a part of God's plan, that we don't need to lean into doubt. We have to stay in belief, even when it's hard, that God's plans never fail, that even, even though there's chaos around us, that we can begin to say, hey, I don't know how it works, but I do know it doesn't fail, that God is going to work this out, that God's definition of good is bigger than our definition of good, that what he is doing and what he is up to is significantly greater than what we think we should have. And we have to believe hey, God, right now, I don't like this, but I know this is for my good and for us to be able to land that in our life. And we can begin to see that God's plans are clear when we look backwards. And we begin to say, okay, because I've seen you work before, now I can look for you in the future. God, I, this is what's so, so, uh, so helpful for us when we begin to write down not only our prayers, but how God has moved. Because we look back and we begin to say, hey, this is what you've done before. So when they begin to say, hey, I've brought you out of, out of slavery before. Like, remember, like you celebrate Passover to remember that moment when I broke you out of Egypt. And so now when you're in Babylon, you can begin to live and you can begin to thrive. And so for us, as we think about life in 2020, we have to look back and say, man, God's done stuff before. So if I'm saturated by doubt, if there's fear in my life, it's because I've forgotten what God has done in the past. It's because somehow I believe that his good is not for my good, that somehow he doesn't have things under control and I should make my own plans because God's plans aren't enough. But we need to understand this is the key to this entire, this is how we see this whole verse. It says here, God's presence and his plans are discovered when he's our priority. God's presence and his plans are discovered when he becomes the priority. And this is so, this is so key. This is what it says. Um, it, it says this. It says, when, it, when we begin to see what, what God is saying, ultimately he's saying this thing. He's saying, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. What, in what days? In the days where we get to the end of ourselves. In the days where we begin to recognize that we don't have control like we think we have control. In the days where we begin to say, okay, God, you know, to quote the country music song, you take the wheel, right? When we begin to say, what does it look like? When we begin to say, I'm going to come to the end of myself, that you are sovereign and I am not. That I'm going to believe instead of doubt. In those days, when you pray, the, the assumption is this, that we begin to get to a point where we say, I can't control anymore, but I can go to God and pray. I can't manipulate. I can't do all the stuff that's causing me to be crazy. What I can do is I can go to my knees. I can pray. And this is one of the most powerful things. Then I will listen. Whenever we're trying to do stuff on our own, whenever we're trying to figure this out, whenever we say, hey, I'm skeptical of like, and we, we try to figure out, God, where are you? 
He waits for us to get to this point. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. And when you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I hope that right now there's a sense of like worship that we begin to experience. That we begin to sense, hey, in the chaos of um, political pandemic world, when everything around us is, is trying to say, hey, this is what you should believe. This is what you should not believe. Here's the doubt. How do you thrive? You thrive when you understand there's a sovereign God but more specifically, you thrive when you recognize that that sovereign God has input into your life. And for you to begin to say, man, no longer am I going to try to figure out this on my own. No longer am I going to have this, this dual nature. Like my whole heart is to be able to focus on the Lord and to be able to say, this is the only way forward. This is the salvation that I have. It is not in a political party. It is not in a stance. It is not in a social movement. It is in God alone. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What I desire for our church, you know, people said, why is this a big deal for God's sovereignty, Right? that we would find God. And when we go to Him and our prayers and our hearts are focused on Him, here's what happens. Here's what we begin to see move. We begin to see that we move from doubt to belief. You move from doubt to belief. And this is such a beautiful thing as we begin to see this, this sense of being able to say, hey, no longer am I in this place where I'm just constantly in doubt. I get to this place where there's a sense of belief that moves you into a purpose in your life, that moves you into saying, hey, this is how I define myself. This is what I'm for, not just what I'm against, that I'm for this. And we need more people in the world that begin to say, hey, this is just what I'm for. That's what ultimately inspires people, not people that say, hey, I just doubt this, but to be able to say, this is what my life is like. Not only this, is it moves from fear to confidence that no longer are we trying to figure out, hey, this is what's going to go on. And, and the pundits and everything around us saying, hey, if this happens, here's how the world is gonna end, right? Here's how this is gonna come crashing down. But when we understand, hey, God, Jesus is over all, that God has his hand in it and he has plans and he's waiting for us to be able to get to the end of ours so we can begin to embrace his. And that moves us to confidence, that we would have confidence in our world. And this is what I just desire for us to be confident people, that we would begin to recognize that the lack of the understanding of God's sovereignty ultimately leads us to insecurity at every single level. And insecurity rocks our world that we can begin to say, there's so many things that happen in our relationships and the way that we view ourselves that you just trace back to insecurity. And we don't have to stay insecure because we have a heavenly father who has plans for our life, who has created us on purpose for his purpose. And that gives us confidence. And that begins to say, this is what I'm here for. This is what God's created me for. So I don't have to figure it out on my own. I can understand how to move from fear to confidence. And then we begin to see this moment of being able to move from control to worship, from saying, hey, I'm no longer going to have control. Instead, I'm going to worship God. Instead, I'm going to be in this place where I understand that he is over all. And there's a sense of peace that comes. And we begin to say, hey, what does it look like? 
for us to recognize God is over all, even when we can't see it clearly. One of my favorite stories to tell is really about a moment I got to have in the Colosseum last year. And and as I think about uh, the Colosseum and its, and its kind of moment in history as a place where we begin to see Christianity put on display in martyrs. And we begin to see these emperors take and begin to say, hey, these people who will not worship me um, as God, I'm going to take and I'm going to execute them. And because they believe in this other God, they are going to lose their life. And we see guys like Peter and we see guys like James lose their life. Um, and we begin to see this, uh, this all kinds of uh, other disciples and, and early church um, people. They lost their life. And some of them lost their life in this very venue that I'm standing in. And if they're there and they're all around the power of the Roman government, of the emperor, to be able to say, your life is done. And it might have seemed like a bleak moment for Christianity, like it's powerless, like this thing that how, as this band of people, um, how, how do we have any power? How do we have any hope that here we are, we're saying this is what we believe and we're being killed for our beliefs. How do we have any hope? How do we go on? How does doubt not riddle our lives and cause us to have apathy and fear in our life, but yet we see these people have confidence and worship and it leads them to this place and they, and they lose their life for it in this place. And as I walked into that, here's the picture that I walk into. This is from my own phone. There's a cross in the entryway that most of the highest governmental figures in the emperor would have walked into. Now just think about what if Peter were to walk through that in this very place where he may have been executed. He walks in and the last time he sees this, this is full of people and leading to death, right? And he sees this. 2,000 years later, there's a cross standing over this, proclaiming a radically different message. And you and I probably can't name any of those emperors other than like famous ones like Nero and Caesar. Most of the world knows the name of Peter, Simon Peter. We never know what God's doing until we look back. And so for us, as we begin to move forward, we have to look back and we have to see God's faithfulness. And we have to use that faithfulness and understand God is doing things right now that we might not be able to see in the same way that he did in the past. And so to be able to have this moment, you to, to be able to see the power of God at work, that 2,000 years later, we stand here. I'm talking to you about this because in spite of something that seemed really bleak, God was in control. God's plans were not thwarted. It didn't look good, but God ultimately is overall. And this is what we get invited into, that Jesus gave his life so that you get access to a relationship with God who has plans for you but more importantly than the fact that he has plans for you. That's not where that verse stops.
It's whether or not you will, in those moments, pray wholeheartedly that your life would be moved towards those plans, that your life would be moved towards the belief in His sovereignty, that He is over all, and so that we can navigate this world and we can recognize that this is the work of God in our midst. And this gives us peace. It gives us confidence. It removes the fear and allows us to be able to say, we are God's children, bought with his blood, to be able to live out his purpose in our lives. And that's good news. And that's how we flourish in the world around us. And as we begin to think about this political landscape, this is how we fight for the good of the city. He has plans for us. He has plans for our city. We're people of God for the city, working as God has plans for us. I love you, Resonate. And I want you to know God is sovereign over your life. And he desires for you to recognize that and submit your life to him. Let me pray to that end. God, help us to so deeply understand who you are that it begins to pervade the very, the very micro interactions that we have, Lord. The moments where we have where fear might come in, the moments where anxiety might come in, the moments where we don't know the future and it begins to spin us around Lord, I pray in those moments, Lord, that we would be so grounded in you as you are above all, Lord, that we would immediately have a posture that although we don't know the future, we know who holds the future. Lord, we ask for that truth to saturate our lives in your holy name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.